Hello, Radioland. It's the middle of the night, and we are here all alone in a quiet radio studio on a ship anchored somewhere off the coast of beautiful British Columbia. And we're playing exactly what we feel like playing. For whoever's out there listening.
Donald Fagan, The Nightfly, with his meditation on the art of late-night radio. And yes, you heard right. We here at Soul Food Ghostlight have shifted our operation to a rusty old freighter, broadcasting from a secret location somewhere off the coast of British Columbia. You know that pirate radio movie? Crazy ship of fools having a high time out at sea defying the authorities by broadcasting exactly what they want for whoever wants to listen. It's exactly like that. Crazy all the time. It's 9 o'clock at night and adult dudes on the planet are sitting in their slippers sipping their sherries. But the people who love to rock and to roll are ready to ride the rock and roller coaster once more. You are listening to Radio Rock and I'm the count. And I'm counting on you as we count down to ecstasy and rock all day and all of the night. I'm not be with you in the daytime. Kinks, with a little bit of pirate radio for you. That was with our special guest DJ, Phil Hoffman, known to his close friends as Seymour. That's right, Soul Food Ghost Light, broadcasting all the day and all of the night from No We Don't Get Seafood, No We Don't Get Seasick, Soul Food Ghost Light Studios. You try it. No, we don't get seasick. Soul Food Ghost Light Studios. Who writes this stuff? Okay, not all day. We broadcast only at night, actually. But you can listen anytime you like. And we broadcast when we feel like it. Glad you could join us. Whenever it is where you are. Here's a letter from a listener who shall remain nameless due to the covert nature of her and our artistic activities. She writes, Hiya. While listening to the latest Soul Food podcast yesterday, I was on a long walk in the rain. While you were reading the Wendell Berry poem, I did this. And she attaches photos of a couple of these exquisite little houses, wooden houses. They look almost like birdhouses like they might be like the right size for a, a hummingbird or something with these collaged images delicately painted she writes i decorate these little wooden houses put notes in them and set them free in one of those little free libraries or in a park under a tree the one under the tree above has Shakespearean pics and quotations from the Tempest. The other is an ancient Greek boat, sending the finder into dreams of faraway lands. Just like us here on Soul Food Ghost Light. She writes, It occurred to me that it's like publishing. You publish a book or a poem, and then it has its own life apart from you that you never know about. You trust it will make it into the right hands. It makes me weirdly happy. I love doing the things that do not compute. Well, thanks. That letter makes me weirdly happy. I think we're on about the same sort of thing. 
Here's that bit of the Mad Farmer Manifesto that we read last week, in case you missed it. So, friends, every day, do something that won't compute. Love the Lord. Love the world. Work for nothing. Take all that you have and be poor. Love someone who does not deserve it. And in case you noticed, yeah, you're right. It sounds much better this week. That's because I got my friend Lauren to read it for me, who's the maddest farmer I know, and also a poet, which is probably part of the madness. But I didn't get it from him in time for the Thanksgiving broadcast, so I had to read it. Actually, I think I'll go back and edit Lauren's authentically mad, authentic farmer version into last week's episode. But where were we? Right. Those glorious little houses with the notes in them. Little messages in bottles, but with no coordinates to send a search party to. Anonymous love letters with no return address. Artistic almsgiving in secret where no one is watching. Well, almost no one. Got me some angels watching over me.
That's a very new song from Canada's own Daniel Lanois. It came out in March of this year on an album called Heavy Sun. Lanois says, We want to lift people's spirits with this music. It's so easy to feel isolated right now. We wanted to remind the people not to let the world steal their joy. To remind them that even during a global pandemic, it's our responsibility to protect our spirits and find ways to keep on dancing, keep on singing. According to writer James McNair, writing for Mojo, Heavy Sun is a salve against pandemic blues, a joyous gospel record largely built on the Hammond of Johnny Shepherd, sometime organist at Zion Baptist in Shreveport, Louisiana. Lanois' nuanced production brings gospel to other sometimes dubbier realms. Dubbier. Dubbier realms. I wonder if the Soul Food Ghost Light Ship is a dubbier realm. At any rate, this is not Monsieur Lanois' first brush with gospel or the gospel or whatever. Breathe deep, my friends, and give this a listen. From Emmy Lou Harris's Wrecking Ball, produced by Daniel Lanois in 1995.
All My Tears, Amy Lou Harris, produced by Daniel Lanois. I am so tempted to disappear down the Daniel Lanois rabbit hole. We could spend the whole night on Daniel. The first record in my collection with his name on it by the original Sloth Band from the late 70s lists Dan Lanois as the engineer. So does Rafi's children's album, More Singable Songs. He wrote music for David Lynch's Dune, bit of a departure from the Rafi thing. Okay, show of hands, how many of you kids are going to see the new one when it comes out, the new Dune? I'm hoping to go with my buddy Mike. We saw the David Lynch together, and I think we may have been the only two people on earth who liked it. But back to Monsieur Lanois. We could play something from U2's Unforgettable Fire and Where the Streets Have No Name from Joshua Tree, which is a tempting fit with tonight's anonymous theme. Don't Give Up with Kate Bush, Robbie Robertson's Somewhere Down the Crazy River, Peter Gabriel, Bob Dylan, the movie Sling Blade, Lanois' own solo album Acadie. But we got to leave room for something from Garrison Keillor at the end of the night. And that has to be in October, so we got to play it tonight. So, Mr. Lanois, another time perhaps. So, my friend and her little houses hidden in tree roots and free libraries, there for the taking. That's the same thing my top 10,000 play is about. You know that play? A late-night disc jockey alone in his studio broadcasts to no one as far as he knows. Just because if a thing is worth doing, you do it. And now I'm living out that pure and fine intention, and it's glorious, weirdly happy, though sometimes not. It takes a continued resolve to just let this thing be what it is, not turn it into something else, looking for money, more audience, whatever. A performance art project, I guess, with or without an audience. I think you'll understand why this news story from the BBC pleases me so much. Tim Dixon sent it to me. It may sound like a Monty Python sketch, but believe me, it's true. Mrs. Duncan of Gonville Crescent, Stevenage, is doing her housework to the music of her favorite radio station. Right now, she's tuned into her favorite DJ. Here to try and put a grin around your chin, special hello, how are you, going out right now to Mrs. Teresa Duncan. 57 Gondel Crescent at Stevenage. How in the world are you feeling, my darling? It's 9.40 on 77. These are the OJs. I'm going to the shops, right, Dake? Radio 77's ratings could be in for a bad morning now that the station's entire audience has decided to go down the shops. For as long as Mrs. Duncan remains downtown Stevenage, her husband, how in the world you're feeling Deke Duncan, Gonville Crescent's number one DJ, will be broadcasting exclusively to himself. From Studio One in the shed at the bottom of the garden. The speaker in the sitting room, connected by cable to the studio, is the station's only output, and as long as the law denies him the right to transmit over the air, Deke and his two associates will continue to use every moment of their spare time broadcasting to the most requested lady in England. Uh, well, the interest in radio came from the Pirates, Radio Caroline, London, and when that was brutally taken from us, I thought I had to do something because the government didn't replace it in the right way for me. So I replaced it for myself with this. My ultimate ambition would be to broadcast this to the rest of Stevenage. I'd like to share it with them. In the meantime, whether the good people of Stevenage are sharing the delights of Radio 77 or not, the service goes on. All our spare time is taken up with as much broadcasting as we can. And especially Sunday. Sunday, I mean, is uh, an all-day thing right through from 6 in the morning till uh, 12 midnight, you know. 
uh, as much as we can. We do sort of three-hour shows each um, right throughout the day. Six o'clock, Clive Christie here in the air chair, manipulating the mountain of music through from six until nine. Good morning to you. My name's Richard St. John here on 77. I'm taking you through till 12 o'clock. 12 o'clock on 77, Steve Duncan in the air chair for the next three hours. Thanks for tuning our way, and if you're listening in your car right now, thanks for the ride. The Stevenage based radio station 77 was itself featured as a news item today on BBC's television programme Nationwide. The name 77 came from a job lot of second-hand jingles bought from an American station of the same name. So this station was built round the jingle. When it comes to advertising, however, the DJs insist on manufacturing their own. 77 Record Store is now open in downtown Stevenage, open 24 hours a day, seven days a week. The record shop is, of course, as fictitious as the listeners who are expected to patronise it. But that's a matter of comparative insignificance to Radio 77. Uh, we're trying to sell fun to people, nothing else, along with music, things like that, jingles that can uh, just pop out at them so they can recognise the station. Just a, a general fun thing, that's all, really. And if the fun can't actually get to the people, there's still nothing stopping the people getting to the fun. Oh, we have interesting people, teachers, even the police came down. Uh, apparently, a neighbour complained that the music was slightly loud, and uh, the police came down to tell us to quieten it down, and we invited them in and interviewed them, and they, they really loved it. The sparrow knows that your eye will be upon her everywhere that she goes. Wanna shout out like the mountains, cause they say those rocks love to lift up the breezes and they never stop. Wanna chase you like King David till it's all that I can do. To sing and shout and laugh about the way you made me feel. I wanna dance like no one's watching. Watching, gonna dance like no one's watching, nobody but you. Wanna grow just like the lilies, dressed up in your best, cause they stretch toward the sun and just in you for the rest. Wanna climb up like a daughter on her daddy's knee. Laughing cause she knows that she is loved abundantly You said that I should come to you just like a little kid Baby, if it kicked my heels the way that David did I wanna dance like no one's watching Dance like no one's watching Gonna dance like no one's watching Nobody but you Watching, dance like no one's watching. 
radio like no one's listening. That was Carolyn Ahrens with uh, Dance Like No One's Watching from her. One of my favorite records of hers, maybe my favorite. Travelers, that was almost certainly Mr. Spencer Capier on the stringed implements. I want to thank Mr. Tim Dixon for introducing me to Radio 77. That's a fine story and kind of suggesting the idea for this podcast, though. He knew not what he did. I should also thank Ms. Luann Schmidt for uh, introducing me to that new Daniel Lanois song. She's been a reliable source of musical information over the years, including a recommendation of Susie Arioli, who became, of whom I became a fanatical devotee after getting turned on to that drug by my dealer, Luann Schmidt. Okay, here's another radio story for you. This is from Garrison Keillor's memoir that came out this year. It's called That Time of Year. I asked Garrison if he'd read it for us, but he's kind of busy. I got into radio two weeks after I arrived at the University of Minnesota. I hiked down the mall to Kaufman Union and the WMMR studio and walked into a crowded room, a staff meeting in progress, and a tall guy in a trench coat shook my hand, and he's the program director, Barry Halper. He showed me around the studios and told me I had the voice of a newscaster. He was very friendly. Barry was very enthused about radio. We walked into the control room. Three big felt-covered turntables, a mixing board, a glass window looking into the announced studio beyond. He needed a newscaster, he said. He showed me an Associated Press teletype clattering in a closet, continuous yellow paper spilling out the front. And he ripped off about 40 feet of it and asked me to put together a newscast. So I assembled a stack of stories and... The engineer, a kid named Harvey, pointed me toward the studio, a tiny room with a green acoustic tile on the walls and a felt-covered table, an RCA microphone suspended over it, gooseneck lamp, a clock on the wall, and a small metal box with a cough switch. A red light came on, and I said, This is Garrison Keeler with the news. And I was in radio. I became a newscaster because Plymouth Brethren sermons had taught me how to speak with solemn authority. I read the news in the voice of Brother Rogers talking about the tribulation. The next day, Barry called to ask if I could do a new newscast daily. No pay, but it'd be fun. I said yes. WMMR was a closed-circuit radio signal transmitted by cables strung through steam tunnels to transmitters in the basements of student dormitories. Out the studio window, as I did my newscast, I saw Comstock Hall, a woman's dorm, and I imagined young women listening to me, and that was inspiring. Other WMMR boys aimed to be DJs at top 40 stations and practiced the growling, gulping, jacked-up style of rock and roll radio, which was too holy roller for me. I aimed for a more mature, dignified sound. Barry said I sounded good. I did the newscast daily from October through May, when I was informed that, due to a dreadful mistake, the WMMR circuitry had failed the summer before. Nobody had realized it, but 7.30 a.m. had gone dead. I had been reading the news for seven months to myself. Nobody knew why. I put WMMR on my resume, no mention of my newscast having been a private one, and it got me another radio job two years later. After seven months of practice, Imitating Edward R. Murrow, I, I didn't sound too bad. Even if nobody else knew it. 
Well, of course, the boy from Minoka, Minnesota, continued on in the radio game, and we're glad he did. He got beyond reading the news. Here's my favorite Garrison Keeler story of them all. One of my favorite stories by any writer. It's just the right thing for this time of year, with the birds heading south, leaving us for the winter. Well, it has been a quiet week in Lake Wobegon, Minnesota, back in my hometown. Quiet as these things go. Carl Krepsbach's brother-in-law, Lyle, bought himself a new car, though, on Monday. People were talking about that for a few days. He did not buy it in town. <laughs> Went into St. Cloud to buy it there. In Lake Wobegon, people say, you want to go buy a car in St. Cloud, that's fine. Then you'll be able to drive your children to school in St. Cloud, too. But it was a car of a sort that is not sold in Lake Wobegon. It was a little red foreign car with a sunroof, which people there have never felt much call for. They <laughs> go driving, like to have a solid roof over your head, but Lyle saw this car in a picture in a magazine advertised. Such a beautiful photograph, too, on a, one of those dazzling bright days, and I think it was on the coast of California, a photograph of this car on a road high above the ocean, and the photograph was shot down through the open sunroof, and sitting at the wheel was a beautiful young woman who was dressed in a swimming suit, which was barely large enough to be called a garment. Well, his poor old heart beat a little faster, and he just had to have it. And I'll tell you, people were not all that pleased about it either. And when on Tuesday morning he went out and could not start it, <laughs> there were a lot of people just sitting down to breakfast up and down McKinley Street who kind of turned and smiled to each other including the person who had put a potato up the tailpipe. <laughs> I don't know, Lyle has lived there for 12 years, but he's still considered a newcomer by most people, and I guess he must be a newcomer if he doesn't know that uh, it's a rule there that you take care of your own uh, before you go uh, looking to strangers, see in the purchase of automobiles or in other forms of romance. A grown man who develops a crush on the picture of a girl in a magazine is not operating with his clutch fully engaged, <laughs> as we say. Well, the high point of the week was not Lyle's buying a new car but was the show that was put on Wednesday night up at Lake Wobegon Lutheran Church by Ernie and Irma Lundeen and their performing gospel birds. It was <laughs> Wednesday night. This is something that the deacons uh, discussed early this last summer and voted on to put on occasional programs in the church on Wednesday nights because attendance at Wednesday night prayer meeting and Bible reading has sometimes been pretty slight. It has not been drawing well. And there have been more than one occasions when five or six people show up at 7.30 and sit and wait until 7.45, and then if Pastor Inkvist is not one of them, they just look at each other. <laughs> and they think, well, what, what do we do? What, what, what's supposed to happen? And maybe say a silent prayer and just sit and read for about 45 minutes and then go home. So they're trying to attract more people up to church on Wednesday nights, and the deacons, Val Tollefson was the one who really was behind this and who got it through the deacons and, and who called a Christian booking agency 
and lined up the programs for the upcoming year. There is a Brother Flem Coster, the world's tallest evangelist, who is coming, I think, in November. And there are the Singing Whipples, who, between the six of them, play 37 musical instruments. Coming this winter, in February, there will be the regional playoffs of the Scripture Drill competition. And sometime next spring, the Reverend Duke Peterson, who is a former runner-up Mr. Minnesota and a champion weightlifter whose use of powerful bodybuilding drugs reduced him to the level of a wild animal and brought him to the very verge of death by building up the muscles in his neck to where he could not breathe. And he was actually dead in a hospital for six and one-half minutes and then was revived and went into the ministry. He's coming in the spring. <laughs> but the program on Wednesday was Ernie and Irma Lundeen and their performing gospel birds, which to hear the Lutherans talk on Sunday morning after service, nobody really was intending to go and see. They were a very dignified bunch, the Lutherans. Some of them asked Pastor Inkvist about it, and he said, it wasn't my idea. He said, ask Val Tollefson about it. This is his idea, not mine. But as Wednesday approached, more and more people were talking as if they might go up to church and see it if they had time. <laughs> and then Wednesday night came around, and Wednesday night being what it is in Lake Wobegon, everybody had plenty of time. <laughs> and at 7.30, everybody was in their seats. The place was packed except for Pastor Inkvist. He was not there. He had gone away on pressing business, I guess. Probably anywhere he could find it if I know him. <laughs> and at 7.31, the lights dimmed slightly in the sanctuary. And the door into the choir loft behind the pulpit opened, and Ernie and Irma Lundeen walked out dressed in beautiful white satin robes, both of them covered with birds, <laughs> beautiful birds. There were macaws, there were canaries, there were doves and parakeets, some parrots, a couple of crows, and it was a stunning sight. Dressed in white, they looked like fruit trees, beautiful fruit on them, gorgeous birds with long feathers, and all of the birds were singing at the tops of their voices. It was just stunning to see this. And they came down and stood in front of the pulpit, and then Ernie bowed his head, and the birds were quiet like that. And Ernie prayed that all who were here tonight would be blessed by the message, and especially those who came to scoff and to mock. May they, Lord, be even more deeply blessed, which made everyone feel about that tall. <laughs> Well, it was about a 45-minute program with these, I would say, 40 birds, is what I heard. They did acrobatic tricks. They did some on the table there in front of the pulpit, and they did some up in the air, tumbling and falling birds, and flying around the room in V formation. Four, five, six birds at a time. Four canaries came out and played several hymns on a xylophone, which was very pretty. And then Ernie talked for a while about their wayward years that they had spent, he and Irma, in the circus and in carnivals traveling across America, performing under the name the Flying Londinis, and trying to attain wealth and fame through their bird act. And meanwhile, Irma was back behind him, 
getting the birds dressed up in little costumes that she had made. And they enacted several stories from the Bible, including the story of Noah's ark. A huge ark there on the table, and birds dressed up as other animals. Elephants and pigs and sheep and camels walking two by two up the plank in perfect formation and descending into the ark. And then the cover was closed. And then from the back of the sanctuary, and goodness knows how it got back there, a dove flew up from the back of the sanctuary and around the room three times and landed on the roof of the ark. And then the roof opened and the birds came up in a cloud straight up. It was stunning. And it got a huge hand. And then the birds took up the collection. People held up dollar bills. Held up dollar bills in front of them and the birds flew by and without stopping got them in their beaks and carried them back to the collection basket. It was so amazing, and especially when someone held up a fifty-cent piece and a parakeet came in and took it in its beak and lost altitude fast, <laughs> but worked at it and got back up and carried the fifty-cent piece up and dropped it in. People were just stunned. And then Irma stepped forward for her testimony and told how Growing up out in the country, on a poor farm, she'd always loved birds when she was a little girl. Her family was poor. She was plain-looking. She weighed too much. And she felt so miserable. She was attracted to birds, so graceful and so beautiful and so free. She just said, I love to sit and watch birds. And then one day, a bird came and lit on her shoulder. And she took this as a sign of God's blessing, that she was not alone, that she was being watched over. As it says in Scripture, his eye is on the sparrow. He knows when a sparrow falls, so his love holds us all. And then four parakeets played that hymn on tiny silver bells. I sing because I'm happy. I sing because I'm free. For his eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. It was lovely. Two-part harmony. So sweet. Ringing out in the church. Then Irma stepped forward and said, we'd like to close the program tonight with something special. I would like each one of you here tonight to experience the same thrill that I felt when that bird landed on my shoulder. <laughs> I'd like every eye closed and every head bowed. I would like every person in this room to sit and contemplate God's great love for us in our lives. And when one of our birds lands on your shoulder, I want you, if you feel that blessing in your heart, to stand up where you are. You don't need to come forward. Just stand where you are. The blessing of the birds. Well, the Lutherans of Lake Wobegon are kind of a reserved bunch. <laughs> they have closed their eyes and bowed their heads in church before and have meditated in the past. But it lent a certain excitement to meditation, knowing that in a moment a bird would land on your shoulder <laughs> and wondering which one it might be. 
so they were a little nervous and some people were peeking. But then they got down to the business of meditating and their eyes were closed and their heads were bound. And yes, as they sat and thought, thoughts did come to mind of divine providence in their lives, of a great love that seemed to abide in the world and that upheld them and supported them as if by invisible hands. Times when great powerful evils had been resisted when they had not done things that they very much wanted to do, and times when they had performed acts of kindness and love and mercy despite the embarrassment of it. And more than that, a presence of grace in the world that lifts all of us up. And as they sat and meditated, one by one each of them felt a slight weight on the shoulder as if someone had tapped them. And then they did feel blessed and one by one stood up where they were until everyone was standing. It was a stunning moment and they all felt very touched by this and not only touched but filled by this miraculous event. The sound of wings in the room like angels moving amongst them and stirring the air. They agreed afterward it was one of the most magnificent evenings they had ever spent in church. Even the people whom Val had signed up for the cleanup committee agreed <laughs> that it was a wonderful, wonderful thing. Lyle wasn't there, I don't know if it would have done him any good. Maybe it might have, or maybe being a science teacher he knows too much about behavior and conditioned response to be affected by this. But I wish I had been there. I felt kind of sad this fall. We see flocks of our birds heading south, leaving us for the winter. I feel better now, having told you the story of the performing gospel birds, but I know I would have told it a lot better if I had been there on Wednesday night at Lake Wobegon Lutheran Church. That's the news from Lake Wobegon, where all the women are strong, all the men are good-looking, all the children are above average.
Ian Welch with Alison Krauss singing harmony. That's from the soundtrack of Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Produced by T-Bone Burnett. We gotta serve up some more T-Bone one of these nights. That's what I call soul food. Well, that's it for us here on the Good Ship Ghost Light. We'll keep that bow light burning for you all night long. And hey, keep those cards and letters coming in. Electronically at ronreed at soulfood.org or non-electronically at our onshore missive receiving facility. That's 1440 West 12th Avenue, Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, V6H1M as in Monster 8. Thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen. I hope you listening in this morning have had a lot of fun listening to Dizzy Gillespie, Charlie Parker, Bud Powell, Tommy Potter, Roy Haynes. I hope you enjoyed George Kirby, our impressionist here at Birdland. And I hope, too, that you enjoy the exciting sound of George Call the All Stars. It's been a wonderful morning. Thanks a lot, ladies and gentlemen. And don't forget, if you're looking for musical fun, make it here at Birdland at the Jazz Corner of the World, Broadway, 52nd Street. Well, it looks like we got to cut out. While we do, here's Bob Garrity.